When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. In this episode, we're going to speak with one of the most legendary players and coaches in AFL history. That's Paul Ruse. In recent years, Ruse has traded in the footy for a career helping leaders in business build healthy workplace cultures. I want to chat to Ruse about the importance of teamwork, performance. A really important one for me is mindfulness and well-being in the workplace, as well as well-being for yourself, and how this transitions into the SME marketplace. Plus, he's got some really exciting things lined up, and anyone who's listening, you can be part of those things as well. So, let's get into it. Paul Ruse, welcome to The Mentor, mate, and excuse my voice. No, it's all right, mate. I'll do all the talking. You just relax. Thanks, mate. I got this from (laughs) shouting out of the state of origin on Sunday night. I was yelling and screaming so much in favor of New South Wales, meaning I lost it. Mate, um, first and foremost, I mean, I'm a big fan of yours and have been for a long, long time, and... Again today, I went and looked up your bio, and like it's ridiculously, um, it's just ridiculous in terms of all the stuff you've won, all the accolades you got for for footy. But I want to ask you a question because everyone who's listening to this will know who Paul Ruse is and all know all these accolades. But I want to ask you a question: Do you get to a point where you don't want to talk about your accolades? You want to talk about what you're doing as opposed to what you have done? Yeah, I think when you do it, um, you, I'm sort of one that moves on pretty quick. It, it's funny. When you're part of creating something, you then want to move to the next stage. So it's pretty cool when people talk about it, but I honestly haven't watched much of my own games. I think 2005 Grand Final, I don't think I've watched that in its entirety. We watched the last quarter a couple of times. But you're right, It's when you live it and breathe it, you love it, you enjoy it, and you're proud of what you achieve, but it's always what's the next thing you want to get onto. And I don't look much in the rearview mirror other than to learn you know, what I've learned and, and correct the things I've done wrong. That's the main reason I sort of look back. But, yeah, I, I probably prefer to look forward more than looking back. When you think about it, though, what a privilege that um, you've done so well. But when you do look at it back at it, you're only probably looking for the, the errors you made so you can learn from it for the future. I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit like, like people like to, like to talk to me about the wizard days, et cetera, and I'm similar. I, you know, so I don't really want to talk about it in my own mind, but I do because I think they deserve – to hear you talk about it. I really do think people love to hear Paul Ruse talk about the things he did when he played footy, going right back to the Fitzroy days, and when you coach footy, both of the Swans and the Fitzroy. Like, I think that people do like to hear that, and we're not going to do that today because um, I'm on your camp, mate. I want to go move on, move forward. But it's an interesting concept. I was thinking about it when I was driving down here today. 
was just thinking about that. I was thought to myself, you know, Ruzi probably doesn't want to talk about all that sort of stuff. Um, and he probably only interested in what he's doing today, which is sort of similar to the way I think. You had a lot of people hang off what it is you have said, have done, I should say. And to some extent, I think people like you, it sounds a bit judgmental, owe it to the public to talk to you about, to talk to them about it. Yeah, I think you've got to be clear on what you, the message is. And I guess that's the, the art, isn't it? It's not the self-promotion. You've got to be careful. You know, it's not self-promoting. Well, it feels like it is a bit when you do. Yeah, when you do it yourself, yeah. that's that's part of what you – so when, it's, when the words are sort of coming out of your mouth, I find myself trying to filter them, saying, is this – self-promotion, is this trying yeah. to teach someone what I've learned? And you're always treading a fine line between that because you don't want to be seen as, oh, that, I ran that Paul Roos the other day. Jesus, he lived in the past and all he was talking about is that. So I'm more conscious of what I've learned, the lessons and the mistakes. And for that reason, I 100% agree. I agree. What I love now is actually taking those lessons from um, playing, but I also worked as well. I mean, I was really lucky, I guess, in a sense that from 1982 through to 1995, when I came up to Sydney, I pretty much worked as well. So I had a really good balance between working, playing footy, and then obviously coaching is a whole new level of leadership. So yeah, I'm mindful of that. I think it's really important, but I enjoy that part of it. And hopefully when I do speak, hopefully people do think that's not that arrogant Paul who's talking about what he did. It's, it's, he's trying to help me with a lesson um, and give him the wealth of his experience because I, I agree. I think it's really important. What do you think? It's in your background, maybe from growing up. What do you think it is that has made you able to make that distinction between what the between what, in terms of what you just said that those distinctions between showing off compared to or as opposed to. Um, actually informing others about things that helped you work and, and do the things you did success, successfully. What is it in your background? Is it something to do with your parents? Because with me, I know it's the reason I don't show off is out of guilt. It's a guilt thing coming back from my Catholic up, upbringing. Like, don't be a show-off. You've got tickets on yourself and all that sort of stuff. So I go out of my way not to show off. Um, and consciously, I do try to inform people. But what is it in your background? I think it's role models. It's a good question. I, I probably was able to articulate. The good thing about writing a book is you sort of get all the stuff out of your brain and you start to think about what happened. And I think in writing a couple of books, I reckon I put into perspective, it was role modelling. It was no doubt. It was my parents. My dad was sort of, I had a really good combination of parents when I look back is my mum was super competitive. Um, like they were both tennis players and played other sports, but mainly tennis was the, their role. I remember my mum was just like super competitive. My dad was the consummate um, sportsman, you know, and just the gentleman. I remember him being a gentleman. I think I was able to decipher between the two and say, well, that's what's right, but you can still be a gentleman and be really competitive. And then when I went down to Fitzroy, I was really lucky. I mean, and to your point, the, the best players at Fitzroy were the most humble, you know, and I just reckon I learnt from them to say, well, you don't have to shout from the rooftops. You know, Gary Wilson, Bernie Quinlan, Laurie Serafini, Mickey Conlon, all names that Fitzroy people would remember. They were really humble guys, and I think I was just lucky there to watch and learn and listen. In those formative years when you get into a sporting club, 19, 20, 21, you can either be kicked in the backside and put in your place or, you know, everyone promotes that sort of arrogance and self-promotion. I was really fortunate. The guys, the role models, there's no question it was role models. And then I realised, you know, pretty early that if I was able to emulate those good players, 
yeah, as I said, I worked as well, which was great to go to work every day and you know, not have, you know, not read the paper and listen to everyone telling how good you are or how bad you are, depending on how the, but get into another vocation and work and work and work. So that, that that's a, you know, real, I'm really clear on that now that, it, you know, I talk about leaders as being role models. If you want to run a business or if you want to, you know, be an executive at a top firm, you've got to be a role model fundamentally first and foremost if you want to create a really good culture. And I've often wanted to know too, by the way, are you a product of Fitzroy, not the club, but Fitzroy, the district? Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Donvale and that was the zone. So I, I even though I barracked for Carlton, I knew that I was going to have, if I was good enough, you never really think then. But, and again, I, I think you were lucky too. Back in those days, you sort of already had a group of guys that you played with and against in junior footy. So you had this group that went down and they were a good group of kids too. So I got drafted out of, which, you know, in that area of, of Doncaster, went down to Fitzroy when I was like 16 or 15 or something like that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what was the district? What is the district? The socio? Well, it's they, what they did is they gave all the clubs when, oh, must have been, you know, turn of the century, would have been going back years and years. So, so whatever your area was, you had to go and play. So we were the eastern sort of suburbs of like Doncaster, Templestowe, Bulleen, all those areas. And then our country zone was sort of Warrnambool, Colac, Camperdown from memory. So you had two zones. You had a city zone and a country zone. And you really didn't have any choice. You got invited down. And as a kid, you didn't need a choice. You just got invited to play. Being a, a, a VFL team back then, you were just excited to get invited. So you didn't really care. As I said, I back for Carlton. I can't remember. Very few of us probably barracked for Fitzroy. We were that excited to get down there and pull a Fitzroy jumper on. It didn't matter who you barrack for. And did you ever get a boot in the ass? Um, what sort of kid were you? No, I was pretty good. But I remember, I do remember when I first went down and um, I remember running out and my first coach was Robert Walls. And I mean, you always think you're pretty good when you get down to a footy club. And I remember just running out one one night at the junction over. It was an early training session and I got out and I'm a jumper hanging out, my socks round and my, I think I don't even think I've turned my boots did my boots up and just run around thinking I'm like King Kong. I got the biggest spray of all time from the coach, Robert Walls. He said, get back inside, you know, don't come out until you – and that was probably my first lesson in almost like personal brand. And, you know, the, the Fitzroy guys were really big on that, you know, how you represent yourself, how you represent your club. And I sort of shocked me a bit. It was like, geez, I've been doing this since I was 12, running around a footy field with my socks down. So that was probably my first real introduction to the discipline of football – and how serious things got at that level, something that I thought was really insignificant um, at that level, you know, held a lot more, there's a lot more accountability around that. It's, it's interesting. Um, I, I might ask you the same question as I've asked myself, but in terms of your public persona, Paul Ruse to me is, as you described your two parents, without knowing you, you know, like socially, um, I would say very competitive and a gentleman. And you played your career that way. You you very rarely got uh, in trouble on the football field. I mean, maybe once. Yeah, well, I think I got reported once for swearing at an umpire and I got off for that. But, yeah, and I think that's why. Was um, that a conscious effort, though, to be that person? Yeah, absolutely. And I always felt the rules were there for a reason. It was funny because, you know, you would know back in that early era of the 80s, I mean, it was quite aggressive, rugby league, Australian rules football. And it was sort of seen as a bit of a badge of honour if you hit someone and got suspended. I was sort of completely opposite. I couldn't work out why that was sort of seen as tough or whatever. I always thought, isn't the rules there for a reason? Aren't you paid to be on the team? Aren't you there to contribute to your team? So it was an interesting sort of scenario when you played in those early 80s. And there's no doubt, um, well, yeah, my father's passed away since then, but one of the best things when I used to run into people that work with my dad 
was exactly what you just said. He said, geez, your dad was a gentleman. Say hello to your dad for me. I worked with him at the TNG. I worked with him. Gee, he was a gentleman. And that really, I guess as a son, I was really proud hearing that about my father. So again, you, you subconsciously work out how you're going to behave. It's not like a, I never remembered I'm going to be a gentleman or whatever, but mm. it, it's a product, I think, of of where you come from, what you do. Um, and there's no doubt, you know, that combination of mum and dad, I think that's the way I, I tended to play my footy. I, I think I was a really competitive player, but always played within the rules. You're right, though. It's, you know, being a mug or a thug isn't doesn't mean you're, you're tough. I remember when I, obviously, from New South Wales, and I'm a more rugby league supporter, and um, when I was a kid, maybe about 15, I got introduced to a rugby league player. His name was Kevin Ryan. He was known as, or his nickname was um, something to do with concrete. I can't quite remember, but some place where they made concrete, they named him after the place because he was a real hard bastard. He was a barrister and um, he was an ex-boxer and he played for St. George in its wonder years, 11-year history winning, 11, 11 grand finals in a row. Then he came to play for the Bulldogs and I got introduced to him. And the thing that struck me was how kind and gentle mm. and nice he was. Um, but on the football field, yeah, he yeah. didn't take any backward steps. He didn't start anything, but he didn't take any backward steps. And I've always remembered Kevin Ryan as, uh, they used to call him Candor after the place called Candor out in the west of New South Wales where they make concrete. That was his nickname. And um, it's funny, that combination of being tough on the field but being a gentleman at the mm. same time is, for me anyway, is quite a remarkable persona to have. For you to have, um, and I guess we always attribute personas to a large extent back to our parents. So that's um, well, I'm glad I've asked that question. It's something I've found out that I, from you direct, that I suspected, but I never knew upfront. And of course, that takes me into the leadership construct. Leadership is, as far as I'm concerned, all about being tough and meaningful and purposeful in everything you do, ruthless, but it doesn't necessarily follow that you have to be a bastard at it. And gentlemanly, if you can do it in a gentlemanly way, that's the best outcome. And that takes us to the leadership construct. So do you think, I know you've done a lot of things in your career that have got you to where you are today in your leadership mission, but if I went, jump straight back to your mum and dad and to the kid growing up watching your parents in a certain way, do you think that's was always going to be where you could have ultimately landed into leadership because of them? Yeah, it's hard to tell, isn't it? I mean, it's a really good question. I, I sort of was a semi leader. I never, I was never. I think I was captain of a few clubs, and I was probably a reasonably popular kid because I was good at sports, sort of thing. But I probably was never like the standout sort of leader. I was never the kid that sort of everyone followed or everyone said, "Oh, you know, look, yeah, you know, do what he does or whatever." Um, I think it was more. I think there's an innate sense of what's right and wrong and being a, a being a good leader, but I think I was I think I was smart. I think I was able to really pick up a lot of things along the way. There's no doubt that combination, as I said, of mum and dad was really important. But then going to Fitzroy, learning Fitzroy, you know, learning from those players, becoming captain of Fitzroy, making mistakes, doing things really well, um, you know, working with the other senior players at Fitzroy, going through some really tough times. I think that helped as well. I mean, we, you know, we were about to fold at the end of 1986, um, go to Brisbane. I remember as captain of the club, I get phone calls regularly from players saying, Ruzi, I haven't got my money. You know, what do you think I should do? 
I think I was thrust into a more of a leadership role because of the circumstances of Fitzroy, because we had to absorb a lot of different things that other clubs didn't have to observe. Um, I remember at one stage, you know, we sought a guarantee from the AFL uh, that we needed their money paid and we were going to um, we were going to um, not play in a game. We were going to strike, you know, and I sort of was a ringleader of that because the other players were coming in saying, Ruzi, we're about to start the season. We don't know where they're going to get paid. So I think those circumstances allowed me to think more around how how am I going to look after my team? What do I do with my mates? You know, what role do I play in that? So it's a, definitely a combination. But I think some of the things that I had to do as a captain then led me to really starting to think about it more. And then when I finished playing as at the Sydney Swans in 1998, I didn't know that I was going to coach, but I wrote down those 25 points, what I liked about coaches, what I didn't. So clearly at that stage, I was more thinking about it. I think early days, you're just acting and role modeling and trying to do the right things. But that journey, probably 1998, when I sat down, you know, that journey of playing really gave me a lot of a lot of tools to start think about what sort of leader I was going to be. Are you suggesting that, um, or are you saying that um, there was a period of time when you were a player that you were probably more emulating and copying other people, what other people had done, in terms of leadership I'm talking about, um, being a leader, through necessity, but then at a later period when you came up to play in Sydney, at a later period you started then to write things down, actually start to articulate in your own mind what good leaders, that is coaches I'm talking about, what good coaches can do or should do. I mean, so because there's a big view around, particularly in rugby league circles, that great coaches were not necessarily great footballers. In fact, the best coaches were not the best footballers. But they made great coaches of great leaders and teams and made great and teams become great. Yeah. In other words, I can think of one, Craig Bellamy, for example. Yeah. He was yep. a very good first grader. But, you know, he wasn't like, you know, um, Noel Kelly or yep. any of the you know, past greats. But he's one of the greatest rugby league coaches we've had. And he makes great leaders and teams. In fact, he gets the whole team to be leaders. Do you think there's any truth in that? Yeah, there's no doubt that pivotal moment towards the end of my career I started thinking more like a coach and started to think because back in those days when I sort of finished the interchange for AFL was more used just if someone got an injury so I finished that that last period of 1998 I sat on the bench a lot and I really started to think in that stage gee what would I do if I was coaching the team and I started to think more because when you're a, a player and you know I, was, I think I was a pretty good player so you're not worried about whether you're going to get a game and you're well, not your record about, certainly says you're a pretty good player yeah but, I, but, yeah, so you're thinking differently. You're thinking, you know, about, you know, winning a best and fairest or doing something really great in, in your own career. So there's, a, there's somewhat somewhat selfish, you know, when you're, a, when you're a player, particularly if you've done some pretty good things. What I, what I learned towards the end of my career, I started to think I wasn't guaranteed a game. So then I started to think, well, what's it like to be the 18th, 19th, 20, 21st, 22nd player? So that was a really pivotal time leading into coaching, no question. Because then I had to start sitting there thinking, gee, what's this bloke sitting next to me thinking? He's been on the bench for the last three years and he's been in and out of the team and, you know. And then when I started writing down some stuff, it really was a catalyst because of that. If I, I think if I had finished my career, you know, as still that yeah, great player and getting a game every single week and not sitting on the bench, I don't know whether I would have been able to do that. I don't think I would have been able to articulate that. And then... I wrote down those 25 points and that was really important because I didn't ever want to forget what it was like to be a player. And I felt a lot of times, this wasn't a criticism necessarily, but I felt a lot of times coaches 
forgot what it was like to be in the trenches, forgot what it was like to be a player. And I really wanted to keep that. If I was ever going to coach, I really wanted to keep that connection with the players. So if we, if I did coach and we lost, I wanted to be able to look at the sheet and go, okay, that's what they're thinking about that. All right. Now I've got to work out they're as disappointed as I am. How do I get them up for the next week? So yeah, it was really pivotal. And then I went overseas in 1999 and I lived with um, my wife's family, Tammy, and I went to the 49ers, the Denver Broncos, the Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bears, the Lakers, um, and travelled around and did a lot of research on what good teams were doing, what good leaders were doing. Again, I didn't know what I'd ever coach, but I didn't want to waste that year um, not from a learning capacity. So that was a really important year as well to start to formulate, articulate, think about, okay, there. And a lot of it was sort of trying to validate what your own thoughts were. But that was great to be able to see what the Americans were doing in, in that space in that particular year. Learning. Yep. G'day, Matt. How are you going, mate? Well, thanks, Mark. Can you hear me? My voice has gone off a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Very different this week, isn't it? Totally. Mate, um, what is the business you want to highlight for this week, the one that Mentor.Business has got for sale? Interesting one. Uh, something very different for us this week. We've got a, uh, a business located in the Central West in the Blue Mountains area. Uh, it's in the fire industry. It services a lot of the mining industry, mining businesses. And what does that mean, though, when you say it's in the fire industry? What is the service that it, that it is providing? Well, essentially, it's taking care of all the fire uh, requirements. So, you, you know, security and fire and services that any business in the mining industry has to adhere to. So there's a lot of regulations around that. So somebody's got to service those, install them. Um, but not just for the mining industry, it could be uh, any business. And how long has this business been going for? Hit the 10-year mark. That's why I think our vendor uh, is happy to start exiting the business. And who are, who's an obvious buyer now? Well, I think the most obvious buyer is somebody that's probably uh, a competitor looking to to grow into this area. Uh, you know, it's in a unique area, Central West and, and, you know, Blue Mountains area. But equally, they've got a great management team. So anybody that, that might be wanting to a bit of a sea change or a change of um, career, um, management and the vendor will stay on and, and help them through the process. That sounds like a good business to me. It sounds like a perfect fit. And we're allowed to talk ranges of dollars? Yeah, absolutely. So we're looking for a roughly a three times multiple. So we're looking at a, a 250000 average profit, a little bit higher this year, actually. But if we talk about the last four years, I look at the financials, very solid. It's actually been increasing really nicely, about two fifty average. Um, and we're talking about a three times profit, um, you know, asking price. So we're talking about around the 700000 Okay, that sounds like it's, well, three times means you're going to get your money back in three years of profit. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, mate, I hope you find the buy for this one because this sounds like a good sort of a deal to me, particularly with mines. Mines aren't going to go anywhere because we continue to need mines. And for our listeners, if you're looking to buy a business or sell a business, don't forget to come look at our mentor.business where you'll find a lot of businesses listed for sale. And if you want to talk to someone about getting your business ready for sale, give Matt here, Matt Holland, at mentored dot business a yell thanks mark welcome back to the mentor and i'm here with paul ruse and we have been talking about a number of concepts that sort of brought about his mission in life and we have been and in particular we've been talking about things like leadership and what i want to ask you now paul is you've just explained how you became quite thoughtful about what afl or what aussie rules held for you in the future after playing and you said you just you articulated those thoughts about coaches in particular in writing. That's a pretty unusual thing, to be honest with you, for a footballer. I know lots of footballers, they don't normally do that sort of thing. 
You then went on a, let's call it a sabbatical, but you went over in America and you went and had to talk to all the experts. And again, I finished off the first half of this podcast by saying learning. And because I think learning is a really important part of becoming yeah. better at what you are. But you also mentioned that you were with your wife's family, your wife, Tammy. Is that right? Yep. Tammy. Yep. And I noticed Tammy is a, what does Tammy do? She's a meditation teacher. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Tammy teaches mindfulness, I guess. Okay. What influence does that have on you? Because, you know, to be frank with you, what you're talking about here is being mindful of who you are, yeah, what you're best at. Yeah, absolutely. What influence did Tammy have on you? Yeah, we both started meditating. We went to a course together, actually, some 20 years ago. And then Tammy went on and did, she's like an academic. So she's done a lot of research um, on meditation. She did an MBA, um, a master's a doctorate on meditation and parapsychic psychology. So she's done a lot of research in that area. So sure, she brings the academia side of it. And we introduced it to the Swans playing group in, a, in when I started in 2003. And I think, I think you're right. I think it's really just about being present, about being mindful and about being thoughtful and about being here and now. Um, so we did that with the players. Didn't make it compulsory in 2003, but no, no um, coincidence that our better players were the ones that really took it up. You know, Adam Goods, Jude Bolton, Brett Kirk, um, Craig Bolton, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the younger guys did it as well. And then when we when we got to Melbourne, we uh, when I coached Melbourne, we did it, um, brought it in like as part of our program. And now it's much more the norm. But I, I think that's the thing. It's sort of the biggest thing that I sort of try and balance out with Tammy is she's the academic and talks about the science behind it, which is really, really good, but also the trust factor and what it does to you. But And I try and sort of, I guess, debunk the myths around it. It's It really is just being still and just, breathing and just, you know, and I think there's also the other forms of meditation. I, I, I remember coming down from the box after we'd lost and it's more of that, the, the conscious meditation where I just take a few deep breaths and before take talking to the players. So it's not just the, the 10, 15, five minutes you spend, whether it's in your chair or on the bed or whatever, meditating. But I think there's other times in the day and that's what I like to, I think that's what I've been able to do in my day-to-day work when I was coaching is, just be mindful, understand when the moment is to to be really aggressive with the players or attacking the players, not the right word, but be quite critical, but other times to be able to differentiate and say, no, I need to wrap their arms around them. And I think that's an important part of being a really good leader. So certainly the mindfulness piece, the meditation piece for Tammy and I has been extremely important over the journey of um, in my coaching career. So do you think, but does Tammy, do, I mean, do you share with things with Tammy? I mean, I don't know, but is Tammy part of your business now? Or? Yeah, absolutely, okay, yeah. So and, she, and one of the things we're trying to do, I guess, through, and we'll get on to what I'm doing now, I think- Well, what are you doing now? Tell me now. Yeah, well, so the, I've got two companies now, which is one, Performance by Design, which is really about culture, behaviours, values, you know, trying to set them up. What are the, what are the real behaviours that you want to, you know, which is really what we did at Sydney, what we're able to do at Melbourne. Um, articulate exactly how you want to behave. Um, I talk a lot about being real process driven, you know, not so much about the outcome. How do you want to behave on a daily basis? Um, so that's performance by design and which I was really excited about last year. I went to an event called Nurture Her in um, Fiji, which was 200 business women, small, medium business entrepreneurs, entrepreneur leaders in Fiji. I just went to talk. I went as a speaker and Tammy went to speak on meditation we had an amazing experience connecting with the ladies, listening to the speakers. Again, around that concept of leadership, but in health and wellness, there was a, 
you know, early, you know, early rise, get up and go for a, do yoga or go for a walk on the beach, meditation, and some amazing speakers. Um, and then I got asked, we got asked after Christmas to be part of that event as well, to buy into that company. So we're doing that. We've got two events, Nurture Her, Nurture 360, both in Fiji in October. But the great thing is, is pulling that all, both those concepts together, you know, the offsite version, which is taking them away, taking them on an island, getting great speakers in, talking to them about, you know, how can I build better relationships, you know, pure business stuff with some of the speakers, but also the, the wellness piece. So, yeah, I, I guess my biggest focus is on how do we become better leaders? And I think what I'm finding probably more through performance by design, a lot of the companies we're dealing with. A lot of the leaders just get there because, which is not a bad thing, it just happens that they're technically very good. They're transactional leaders and they're very good at what their job is. Suddenly they get this position, they look down, they're managing 30, 40, 50 people, but they haven't had that relationship component, that empathy, that ability to, to build a team. So I'm noticing a lot of that. And also I think we now know one of the best quotes I've, I've read just recently is, my health will determine the health of my business. You know, So I think we've got to stop putting as you and I well know, people will pay a fortune for a leadership speaker. Let's mm. get, you know, Mark or let's get Paul to come along and we'll pay a fortune. Oh, meditation or yoga, oh, we'll leave that, you know. Oh, my view, and I know you share this view, we've touched about it before, is how do we make this leader that it's really well balanced, you know, that looks after himself or herself really, really well, has a great understanding of, you know, the the impact they're going to have on their staff, the energy, and also be technically very good at what they do. I mean, it's a it's a very difficult thing to do. So with performance by design and the nurture group, um, nurture her, nurture three hundred and sixty events, it's really exciting. I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now and and learning a lot too because having been predominantly a coach, um, getting out into the corporate space has been fantastic, and I'm loving it. So, well, like in terms of a routine, I mean, how important is a leader's routine? Because a, a leader's got to lead his team. But at the same time, leaders could live his or her life, yep. and they've got to be in a right state of mind. If they're in a bad state of mind, their team's going to feel it or see it. One of the two. What is the routine that best suits you um, in order to stay in that right state of mind, in order to be a good leader? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it really depends on what you do. I, I guess what I've learned when when you're coaching, it's very routine based. You know, because you. You train the same time, you do the same thing. So I'd get up, meditate every morning, then get to work on the same time. But I think post that, and and I suspect what what you run into too is is when you're running different businesses and you're doing different things, it's a little bit harder because every day sort of changes. What I what my thing is keep things relatively simple. You know, you don't necessarily have to run a marathon in the morning. You don't have to go to the gym for two hours. You know, you don't have to ride your bike for four hours down to Frankston and and back. Keep it simple. Keep it something that you know you can do, you know you enjoy doing. And if you get that as part of your routine, you're more likely to keep on doing it. I think it's really individual. For me, I love going for a run, but I only go for a 15, 20-minute run. I enjoy working out. I've got a gym in the in the just little gym in the garage, and I meditate pretty much every day. Keep it simple because you're right. The, one of the things I wrote down in the 25 points at the end was the energy you, the energy of the coach at the time was the coach the energy of the coach will rub off on the players so I was really really conscious of that as a coach if I walked in on a monday we'd had a loss and you know I was miserable and yelling at everyone what do you think yeah, it's the same as in business as you, mm. as you know the leader has to be ready to lead the leader has to and it's a it's tough, but that's the way it is. You know, that's just the reality of being a, a leader of a team. So then if that's the case, then 
first and foremost, I believe you look after yourself. Look after yourself. Get yourself ready to go. You know, whatever that looks like for you, but don't let it go. I think too often we sort of let it go and we, we spend too much time. I've got to worry about my team. I've got to worry about my company. I've got to worry about my, my players, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. But if you can't worry about yourself and look after yourself first, it's very hard for you to look after them. So I think that for me, the message is always keep it really simple, something you enjoy doing and something you think you can turn into a routine. And in terms of um, that proposition, are you doing that, do you think, for yourself or are you doing that to be a good leader? Both. I think they're, they're in, in linked. I mean, I do that because I enjoy it. But honestly, I believe that. Because I think that's the key. Yeah. Too yeah. many people I know. Yep. Yeah. Are doing it for themselves. They're leaders as well, but yeah. they're 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 bashing themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because they feel as though they want to, um, you know, tell everybody that they ran a marathon or they did. They rode the Fitzroy and the yeah, bike yeah, from yeah. you know wherever the middle of the city. Yeah. Um, whereas you should be just doing it for yourself. Uh, uh, that's the ego, isn't it? it? It's sort of that first conversation we had. It's like you don't have to run a marathon be- so people can see you run a marathon. Mm. If you want to run a marathon, run a marathon. But the great quote, it, it, I remember, I think it was Dennis Pagan or one of the other, one of those old school coaches. He said, you don't have to tell everyone you're a good player. Just play well. Yeah. Because you want to play well. And I think it's a really, really good point. Don't think you have to get on a bike for four hours because 20 of your mates do it. And you think, oh, geez, I've seen them ride down Beach Road. Do, and that that's my message. Do what makes you happy. Do what you're going to turn into a routine. Not because someone else is going to look at it and say, oh, geez, I saw Mark Burris run 10 times around the Centennial Park. I better be doing the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So whatever, that's, that's, it's a really good message. Whatever you, makes you, because if, if you enjoy it, people are going to see that enjoyment when you turn up to work. If you're doing something you don't really enjoy, but you're only doing it for someone else, you can only, you can only mask that charade for so long and people are going to go, oh, I don't even know whether Rusey enjoys doing what he's doing. You know, geez, he looks miserable when he comes to work. He's just run around the tan three times or whatever. Absolutely. 100% do it because you want to do it and, you know, you, you enjoy doing it. I mean, I think also to – I mean, I don't know, your wife would know a bit more about this than I, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm just making a, an observation, but it seems to me too that people who think like that, which you just said, um, when they do are doing their run and or they are just, you know, maybe going for a walk, to some extent they're actually – Performing a meditation of a yeah, type, uh, yeah, and also, like I like to do a bit. Of, I like to read something every day on top of something that's got nothing to do with my, got nothing to do whatsoever with my training or, or my business. I like to read something that's got it's out there, and also that becomes meditational for me. I reckon you, the part I was just saying before your wife knows, but I actually reckon that people who do these meditational things, like you just said, actually look a different way. Yeah, their brain changes and their eyes look different and they have a different demeanour about their face. What do you think? Is there any truth Yeah, in that? no, absolutely. There's medical research around certainly the brain, the, the brain waves, the brain patterns. I think it's even the size of the brain, so Tammy tells me. So you're right because part of it, I think it's a really good point. I, I like snow skiing. And one of the great things about snow skiing, all you're thinking about is what you're doing at the time, which is effectively- Because you've got no choice. You're pre- exactly. You're going to run into a tree. But you're present, you're, and that's what we talked about before, that mindfulness. When you're walking and you're doing something you want to do, you're not thinking about your phone. You're not thinking about, you know, what's going to happen at work or whatever. You're actually enjoying the surroundings of walking around the park or sitting by the, you know, the, the pond feeding the ducks or whatever it might be. So part of that mindfulness is the being present. And if you're doing something you like, you're more likely to be present than if you're doing something you don't like because then you are thinking about other things. So it's a really good point in terms of – 
you know, I mightn't actually want to sit there for 20 minutes and, and meditate specifically, but spend that 20 minutes doing a, an open meditation, if you like. You know, Is that or, what it's called? Like something where you're doing an activity where you're not actually sitting there listening to a meditation app? Are you talking about um, some other, is it something else when you are meditating, when you're running or whatever it happens to be, you do walking through the garden or whatever it is. Is that called open meditation? Well, I'll just put a label on it then, but I oh, think okay. it's, yeah, no, it's more, I think for me, it's more, how do I, how do I, talk about some of the benefits of meditation, just clearing out the stress, clearing your mind, getting your thoughts back in. So you can do that in other avenues, you know? So if I'm, as I said, if I'm snow skiing, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about anything else. So then I finish and I feel really present. You're looking around, you the snow and the trees and all those sorts of things. So I'm saying it's a form of meditation. I think, yeah, for whatever reason, we put labels and names on things. It's something Tammy and I have spoken about a lot, you know, this notion of what is meditation. I think, I think, I think it's changing a bit, but certainly people think of meditation is, you know, I've got to go into a cave and I've got to, you know, sit there. Dalai Lama. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think the ability you touched on before, it's mindfulness. It's just, it's just refocusing. It's breathing. You know, it's just taking time for, your, for yourself. So that can happen in another um, uh, many different ways. I don't have the academia that Tammy does to explain exactly what a walk's going to do compared to the, I mean, 20 minutes of meditation is equivalent to four hours of sleep. I suspect that's different when you're walking around the park. But what I'm saying is what you're saying as well is take the time, enjoy what you're doing. You know, if you had a stressful day at work, you don't want to be going home and getting on the thing, you know, getting on your computer or whatever. Take 10 minutes, take 15 to walk the dog down the park. Then when you come back, you're much better equipped to be able to deal with those problems. So how do you take this then into your leadership courses that you're running and, and, and the retreats that you're doing? How do you take all of these things? Yep. Because when leadership is sort of like the outcome. It's all the little steps on the way to becoming a leader that you're talking about here. Yeah, and I think that's the key. I think what, what I'm really probably gets back to your question before, what are the things I'm trying to pass on um, because I think they're great lessons as opposed to tell everyone what I've done and how good I am sort of thing. I think what I've been able to articulate is I think being the type of leader I was, I needed to do certain things to be able to do it. You know, so I'm my what I try to say to people is, yeah, you don't need to go on a radical diet. You don't need to do enormous amounts, but just little things that's going to help you be a better leader. So how do we do it at the at the retreats and nurture her, nurture three sixty? We start the day with some activity. You know, we sort of say, let's get up. We'll do a walk on the beach. Some people will swim on the beach. Some people that are more active might do a yoga class. Some people might do a little a nice fitness class. Go and have breakfast. Tammy will do a, a short five-minute, ten-minute meditation. Then we go into the business component. In the afternoon, it's the networking. How do we? How do I sit there? Geez, I've got an opportunity to sit down um, with some of the speakers. We do some one-on-one breakouts. So you're right. It's the whole of. So we're trying to integrate this whole notion of being a great leader. Not just that. There's going to be some technical expertise. There's going to be some expertise. Um, for instance, Nam Baldwin's a great um, stress management. Breathing. How do I breathe at work? You know. Yeah, the funny thing is, you say breathing's quite important. Very, it's very people important. People forget to breathe. People forget to breathe and breathing properly. I've yeah, done yeah. his course, but I believe he does an amazing job. So, to your point, it's how do I take my learnings and things that I think fundamentally people know, but it's just reinforcing what what they are. Great business speakers, great speakers on leadership, and great speakers on wellness get to an off-site venue. So you are. 
you know, I've been to some great conferences. You, you and I have been to some conferences together, but they tend to be just purely business sort of conferences. Yeah. And then you sort of, oh, that, that was great, but I'd better check my phone. Yeah, correct. Well, then you see them checking your phone when you're talking. That's exactly. So well, the great thing about what I found last year going to Fiji with the Nurture Her was everyone was engaged. You're in this beautiful, and you're not thinking about what's happening at work. You're actually being mindful. You're being present at that particular time. So you're more likely to take in the information as you possibly can. The performance by design is really yeah, we're, we're sort of trying to get some, you know, uptake is around. Is that one-on-ones or is that corporate? More that's, corporate. that's more corporate. More yep. teams, you know, so we'll, you know, we'll typically work purpose, values and behaviours. Most companies have a purpose and values, but a lot of them don't go down that next level to behaviours. How to ha- behave around the purpose. How to behave around the values. Yeah, the value might be, you know, we might have a value you and I and we say integrity, but integrity might look slightly different to you than it does to me. Mm. If we put something underneath it and we start to say, well, this is integrity, you know, whatever that behaviour might be and we'll determine it, um, then we've got a way to reward. Mark, well done yesterday. You were X, Y, Z. I thought the way you handled yourself in that meeting was fantastic. Oh, Rusey, yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for that. So you're starting to be able to – so they, they're quite separate but similar. Would you run like hackathons for businesses where you hack into values of the business but get everyone in the business involved? Yeah, we get everyone in the involved. So yep. well, the best part of it is – and it's and, and actually the best people to work with are when they're smaller companies because yeah. then you can actually – and you would have said it many, many times. I mean, how many times a company goes, well, I started off with my, me and my three mates and we started this company – now I've got 200 people. Jeez, we, we haven't got any values. We're not sure. Ah, we've got – look, we're going along pretty well. That's actually the best time to do it. When you're actually a smaller business, you can sit around and what's our purpose? Why Why do we exist? What are we here? What do we come in every day to do? These are some of the values and our – this is the way we're going to behave. And then what well, the good thing about that is you can start to hire and fire on those principles. You can start – so suddenly when you go from 20 or 10 or 15 up to 150 – most of the people in your organisation already have those same values and behaviours. Do you get them to sign up for it? Do you suggest people sign up for it? Like, in other words, you establish these values and objectives? Yeah, we'll get them to do it and own it. And then, you know, so we'll typically start with a full day workshop and we typically start and say, look, okay, you agree with it? Let's sit with it. We typically ask them to sit with those behaviours for three months and then we'll come back and challenge them. What have you seen? And then we, we never want to put processes in place. That's up to them. But it's, for instance, yeah, communication. It's hard to have communication and then behaviours underneath it if you never have a meeting to communicate. So typically, what happens is when we do ours, I'll say, "Oh, look, that's we need to in, we need to have you know maybe eight o'clock every Wednesday. We'll get together. We'll just sit down. We'll talk about the behaviours. We'll tick them off pretty quickly. Friday afternoon. So we won't infringe on their processes or systems, but we will certainly challenge them. But we'll get them to sign up effectively the behaviours. This is why we're going to act, and then we'll work out ways to hold that when they reward each other and challenge. And effectively, what, what is your culture? It's what you reward and what you challenge. Really, that, that's what it is. And what you, what you see people do, what are the habits of your business? It's a great story. You know, like it's funny. I think every business has a story and, every, and um, I'm just sort of dragging out of you your story about your business. But it's a great story that you put to us, me and the listeners, um, you put to us about you know, the kid with a competitive mother and a and a gentleman as a father, and I know Daddy was competitive too, but but there's some traits you picked out, and then all your massive career of, of playing football and coaching football, and into today, sort of paying it forward, what you learnt in all those years, and and again making a business out of it, but making it a business that um, really suits your personality. And what's been better about it from my point of view is you've done it with your wife, that's fantastic. Um, Paul Ruse. 
I could talk to you for hours, Ruzi, but my voice is going to drop out. <laughs> no worries, mate. Well done but to I, get through I, it. I, I really enjoyed this discussion because I learned something more about you than I wouldn't find out if I looked up Wikipedia or whatever, or just Googled you. Um, but what I found interesting about this whole conversation, not only about um, your new businesses, Nurture has Performance by Design. Performance by Design is the leadership yeah. company. And, and nurture, nurture Her and Nurture 360. Yeah, those, yep. those three businesses. But I found out how something like mindfulness and meditation and just generally being kind to yourself works for someone like you who – to be frank with you, I never really expected. I just thought I was going to get the the footy thing, and and um, and I didn't get that. I got something totally different. I have heard you speak before, but I think that was about five six years ago. Yep. But this seems to me to me you've taken yourself to a whole new level. I'm not saying you know you you've improved. I'm not saying that you're great then too, but you've gone to a whole new level. Do you feel that? Yeah, I do. It, I really enjoy it. As I said, getting out of the Football. I still, as you said, I still do Fox footy, but I've enjoyed being out of the football environment and I've really enjoyed being in the corporate space more and, and I've really enjoyed interacting with CEOs and small business owners and all those sort of people because they've taught me a lot as well. Um, and I think that lends itself, you talked about learning before, you know, and people ask me a lot about mentors, et cetera, et cetera, but you can learn from everyone. I think mm. that's that's my biggest message. Don't sort of wait to run into a Mark Boris or run into Paul totally. Roos or someone like that. Learn from all these people along the way. And I've probably learned more in the last sort of two and a half years since I finished coaching Melbourne than perhaps I did in the, the previous five or six after I'd had that initial period of coaching. Yeah, I learned a lot in my first period of coaching Sydney, but I think the last three years have been great because I, I haven't sort of worried about, oh, do I have to ring someone? I've learned from all the people I've interacted with and that's through all the gamuts of the businesses, whether it's the HR people, um, the CEOs, the you know the salespeople that I've ran into. So it, it, yeah, I take that as a compliment. I appreciate that comment because I feel like I've really evolved a lot in that leadership space and a lot in really articulating my own mind and being able to uh, being able to say this is what I think a great leader looks like. Taking components of my mum and dad, Fitzroy. Um, coaching, playing at Sydney, coaching at Sydney and Melbourne, and now also getting out in the corporate world and seeing what that really looks like. So I appreciate that. Well, Rizzy, thanks very much. By the way, I can tell you, I can see it in your face. I actually can see a whole new lease of life in you and your enthusiasm with it all too. Thanks very much. Thank thanks you. for sharing, mate. Thanks, mate. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.